Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode's interview is with Gabriel Skanse and is produced in cooperation with Vivolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. In this interview, you're going to hear a lot about the fur hat robot head that you see in this image. It uses back projection on a face-like mask to give robots an expressive face. This helps the robot communicate with humans. Welcome to this episode of Robots in Depth. Today I'm honored to have Gabriel Skanse from KTH and Furhat here. And we're going to talk about everything robotics, but we're going to start where we usually start. How did you get into robotics? What's the start of your journey in this field? My background is in human uh, spoken communication. So how do humans communicate with each other? By spoken interaction. Um, and that's what my research has been uh, about for like 15 years or so. Um, and then a couple of years ago, sort of more and more people started to actually explore robotics, not just for the way you used robotics before, that was in factories where they did sort of heavy, dirty, dangerous work, uh, assembling cars and so on, but actually looking into how can robots engage with people that's what we now call social ro robots or personal robots. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the way to interact with these robots is very sort of the most obvious way of interacting with them is spoken interaction, just like we interact with each other. If you see any star uh, science fiction movie like uh, Star Wars, uh, when, uh, when you interact with C-3PO, you don't pick up a remote control. You, you talk to C-3PO. And you certainly don't program. <laughs> no, no, you exactly. rip out the keyboard. No, if you, if you want to learn C-3PO or any robot or anything, you yeah. would just explain to them how yeah, to do yeah. it. You wouldn't, uh, exactly, you wouldn't pick up uh, your computer and start programming it. Mm. Uh, so spoken interaction seems uh, like the obvious way of interacting with robots. Mm. And that's what, what my research now is about. How, how can we use spoken interaction to interact with robots? This, of course, also uh, allows us to start working together with robots, these so-called co-robots, in a situation where virtually nothing but spoken word can work. Say that we're performing a task together with a robot. It, it is mostly not possible to do anything else than just could you do that a little bit higher up or a little bit more that direction i have uh, once moved the table together with a pr2 and he was very gracious to carry the load of the table and i yes. decided where to put it yes. um, and in these kinds of co-bot situations spoken language is just essential absolutely um, can you tell us a bit where we are today in this yeah, so, so that, that's sort of one uh, application or sort of one way of, of, of using spoken interaction. It's sort of when you, when you have a physical task that you perform together and mm. you en enhance that by spoken interaction. Mm. Uh, and that is, of course, quite uh, complicated because that kind of interaction involves you talking about objects mm. in, in, in the sh shared surrounding. Mm. So you have to be able to refer to the table and refer to the objects that you are moving and so on. Mm. Uh, and that's very complicated uh, in itself, just, uh, just that part. Mm. Uh, and also suddenly 
the sort of real-time aspects of interaction becomes very important. Exactly when you might say, okay, let's move it now, 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 there. Mm. And so you see mm. that sort of the timing of, of the language. It's mm. not just me saying something, you saying mm. something, me mm. saying something. Mm. But actually the timing becomes extremely important. Mm. Mm. But that, that's just one sort of category of, of uh, human ro spoken human-robot interaction. Then we have social robots that are, you, you could imagine a robot in a reception, for mm. example, mm. Uh, at a hotel. Mm. And then it's not really about manipulating objects and so on. Then it's more about the robot being able to talk to you and, and uh, explain to you and so on. Mm. And using, uh, and there actually uh, the embodiment becomes so important as well. So, so you want, uh, research ha has shown that having a physical body, uh, not just an agent on a screen or just a voice, for, mm. uh, but actually uh, an embodied agent that you mm. can talk to a physical uh, agent in the room helps the interaction and also makes the interaction more engaging. Ah, okay, that, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Do we know anything about, more about why, is, why that is? Uh, parts of it is, is a little bit of a mystery. Mm. <laughs> so people have done experiments where you uh, interact with agents on a screen mm. uh, and a similar agent that is physical and you uh, uh, try to use the robot to teach uh, a task. So it's, it's an educational oh. setting. Okay. And then you can measure how much they learned after this task. Mm. And they found that people learned more when it was a physical robot in the room compared to a virtual sort of character on a screen. Oh. And that's kind of mysterious, but it has somehow has to do with, with, with I, I would guess, the engagement in the interaction, how much we feel that this is an engaging task and an engaging interaction mm. and it's not so strange when you think about uh, human human interaction having a conversation like we have now face mm -hmm. to face mm -hmm. is so much more engaging than having it over skype yes we, we and that's exactly why i schlep around this studio <laughs> you just absolutely agree i couldn't agree yeah. more i like doing interviews where we are uh, a meter apart and we can interact and i don't know why as you say we don't yeah. know why but this is yeah. very interesting so so that it is and people are willing to sort of travel across mm -hmm. the world and so on to have physical meetings rather yes. than Skype meetings, even yeah. though they can have Skype meetings. Yeah. Uh, and when it's like two people like us, it's, it's kind of a mystery, mm -hmm. but in a multi-party interaction, mm -hmm. so let's say we are several people, mm -hmm. then the physical setting has a really practical function mm -hmm. because then it's very easy for me to show mm -hmm. who I am addressing when mm -hmm. I speak. Yeah, so you point your head against it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can't really have, that. I mean, a anyone who had had a Skype call or... or, or E-meeting. Yeah, with several people. They it's never just, work, right? No, no, you, know, you don't know who's speaking really and who is addressing whom. And is that person still listening or is, has he left <laughs> Actually, the conversation? Actually, as or? you say, <laughs> Skype with two people is hard. Yeah. Skype with three people is impossible. It is and impossible. above that, yeah, it's just... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there, our physical appearance helps so much because mm, we mm. can see when you speak, I can mm. see who you are addressing. Mm. I can look at everyone in the room. I can mm. see are they attending to what you are saying and mm. so on. Mm. Mm. So, of mm. course, if we want a robot mm. to be able to have a conversation with several people, yeah, yeah. Uh, it helps so much to have a physical robot compared to an agent on a screen or just a voice. Mm. Mm. Uh, I would presume this comes to not a small degree from the fact that uh, just a voice and a screen is a very new thing. Humans are designed and have evolved together with other humans and are 
optimized for that kind of engagement. I mean, yeah. the screen is only a few decades old, and voice recording is not much older than that. Um, and I have observed exactly what you see here when I bring some of the robots I work with for other mm -hmm. projects to schools mm -hmm. and have them with, with all kinds of kids, from small uh, kindergarten kids all the way up to university professors. Mm -hmm this physical engagement with this object and programming it and making oh it moves it does what yeah, i tell it and yeah. it's it, it's a magnitude of difference right absolutely. it's huge right? absolutely and it's also the i mean it's just not just the novelty but it's also the fact that the face carries so much information yes. and we don't think about that all the time but no. Uh, we have all the facial expressions and we have mm. gaze, we know where people are attending mm. uh, and we can actually read lips also. Mm. So it helps in speech comprehension to understand ah. what people are saying. Even people might think that this is just for, for uh, sort of hearing impaired persons, but everyone benefits fr from re reading lips actually. So in one way we all kind of read lips light or We something. do that, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Mm, mm, and mm. you can easily show that in experiments that mm. people uh, can do that. Uh, I can actually relate to that from video editing because sometimes the, when this audio gets out of sync, you are very sensitive to the lips moving incorrectly. And I can tell you, I've I'm not a pro at this. They can probably do it even better. But I can tell when when cam when when the sound is out of sync with maybe four or five or six frames, which is then a sixth uh, six to the twenty fourth of a second yes. off. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, that, we, we are very sensitive to that. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And then you try to use this. Currently, you are working with this, as you said, for a um, hotel reception and, and other things like that. Can you tell me a little bit about the context you are trying to use this in? Yes. So uh, we we have studied it in different contexts. So what we, in one setting, we were exploring sort of exactly this kind of multi-party interaction. So we have had uh, our robot playing a game together with two people sitting at a table. You have a digital table, so you have digital mm. objects that you can move uh, and then have a multi-party interaction together with the robot. Um, mm. And then one of the aspects that we have looked at uh, a lot in, in the research is to uh, handle a, a turn-taking interaction, exactly the thing that we find problematic in, in a Skype conversation. So uh -huh. knowing who's, who, who is uh, supposed to speak next mm. Mm. Uh, and knowing Am I supposed to speak now? Or if I have something important to say, mm. am, I, I, am I allowed to speak now? Or, or should I wait for my turn? Mm. Uh, and actually, that is coordinating this. If we look at how humans coordinate this, mm. we see that they use a lot of signals in the face mm. and the voice uh, to signal. Mm. Uh, so if you make a pause and you want to continue, mm. you have to signal that somehow. Mm. So you might signal that by looking down like this, mm. s showing that you're thinking about something mm. to say, mm. or you might change your tone of your voice mm. to signal that. Mm. Uh, so we want to see both, can the robot mm. express these things? Mm. Can, can the robot show whether it wants to speak mm. or whether it's uh, handling over the turn? Mm. But also, can it read the signals from humans mm. and understand it, does the human want to speak now? Mm, mm. Do uh, they want to continue speaking? Yeah, exactly. Should I hold off yeah. for that? Because it, that cueing, th this that's probably where the challenges today lie in many robotic speech and in communication system is that they have this kind of awkward behavior but it, i understand it mm. must be very challenging huh? yeah it is uh, exactly because because it's it's such a complex uh, uh, set of signals that mm. you have to understand either mm. generate from the robot or or understand from humans so mm. in that we use machine learning mm. uh, so what we have done is to record 
uh, interactions and then we sort of look through the interaction and say here is a good place to take the turn here's a bad place for example um, what uh, characterizes those two yeah and then it can learn from these different signals so it can learn that given that you have certain head posts or given the certain tone of the voice mm -hmm. and so on uh, it can combine these different features in order to learn when it's appropriate to speak and not to speak can it also do this individually in real time for a certain speaker after a while or that, that so say I communicate yeah. with my robot for weeks and weeks yeah. or years and years. Yeah. That, that's ex 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 actually exactly what we, we are looking into now is, is how to learn this online. So mm. rather than us having to tell, to sort of say here's a good place and here's a bad place and mm. learning it sort of offline, mm. we want to learn this online. Mm. So mm -hmm. we're looking into how the robot can engage with a person and sort of adapt, maybe have a background model. So, mm. say, so th this is the average turning behavior. Mm. but after some conversation with you, I mm. would start adapting my behavior to you. My pause length, my, exactly, yeah, exactly. because I behave the same way globally, yeah. but in, 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 in detail I differ, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm. So that's where we want the robot to be able to adapt to, mm. to the specific user. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and, and then we're talking about this, uh, it would be used in a service situation. Yes, so, so that was, kind of a game that we set up in order to study this specific behavior. But if you look at more sort of uh, actual uh, scenarios, uh, we have had uh, the robot, uh, the fur hat robot, uh, at the Frankfurt airport oh, uh, okay. for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. as a test. Uh, so uh, the robot was telling people information about, uh, people could ask, uh, is my flight delayed? Uh, where is the restroom, mm -hmm. where can I buy a newspaper or mm -hmm. anything. What's like the that. shortest way from this gate to the other yeah. gate? Well, mm -hmm. Exactly, the mm -hmm. type of information you would want an information kiosk uh, mm -hmm. to be able to walk up and ask these kind of questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's, that's sort of a, a scenario. We have a, another type of scenarios which is more like s what we call social simulation. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, ha we have a research project where we look at if the robot can uh, sort of uh, simulate a patient uh, with some kind of psychological problem, for example, okay. uh, and then the, uh, ro uh, the person uh, who interacts with the robot uh, is, is a student uh, ah. trying to become uh, a psychologist, for example. That's, that's an interesting Talking to the robot so, and learning, and then you could have this as a learning experience. So education is also an important, uh, either the robot acting as a tutor or robot simulating a person. That's very interesting because of course this would allow the, 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 the student here to experience a vast number of situations exactly. that would be impractical or very time consuming to expose them to in yeah. real world. Or, or you, of course you could have a human sort of role playing but that would also be very time consuming. For, yeah, and so if you have a robot it can you can use it sort of 24-7 in yeah. your home practicing. And, so. and also the controllability. Yeah. Uh, I mean here exactly. the, 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 the simulation can be set up to do things that are either dangerous or impractical exactly. or unethical. Yes. yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's very that interesting. True. It's the same in, in our experiments that we do. We, sometimes we want to see if the robot does this or does that, how does that affect the human? Mm -hmm. uh, and that actually has sort of value from a sort of uh, from a very basic research perspective that we can study human communication mm. with the help of a robot mm. because we can program the robot to do things consistently 
in mm. interaction mm. and measure the effect on the human. Oh, you yeah, could yeah, never do that consistent. with two humans. You mm. can't say to the, uh, to the human that every time this happens, you must do that and so on. Mm. You wouldn't be able to do that. No. So, but having a robot, we can actually program it to behave exactly the same way in certain situations and, and measure the outcome mm. uh, on the human counterpart. That's something I, I hear quite often, that when we try to emulate animals or humans in some context in robotics, we also learn a lot and we can use it to learn a lot about humans or the animal, Absolutely. right? When we Absolutely. try to reproduce the gait of yeah. a cheetah, yeah. we build a robot that can run very quickly, yes. but we also learn much more about the gait of a exactly. cheetah. And that's actually a motivation for our research. So, so our research is, is highly interdisciplinary. Mm. So we, we use knowledge from mm. linguist, psycholinguistics and so on in mm. order to see how can we program a robot mm. to be able to have a conversation. Mm. But we also want to sort of feedback knowledge to psycholinguistics and linguistics and so on in order to do experiments mm. uh, where we can verify mm. uh, quantitatively mm. uh, theories uh, and see if, if they sort of hold even in a conversation with a robot. Mm -hmm. uh, so it sort of goes in, in both ways. So in that sense, it's, it's a highly interdisciplinary research. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, 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 and I know that many fields suffer from the the, the, the lack of, of, of experimentability, so you, as yeah. one can say. And here we can come in and, and offer that, that controlled, repeatable experiment. And exactly. that, I think it's just exactly. going to grow that field in turn, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, you run, you're part of Furhat. And mm -hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about how it was to be such an early entrepreneur in robotics? Because Furhat has been around for a while now, and not many robotics companies have. Yeah. How was it to start? How, I mean, can you talk about before you started, when you started thinking about starting it, and then when you reached out to people to yeah. help you and yeah. funding and all this? Yeah, can you yeah. talk a bit about that? Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so we were a, a couple of researchers who worked on... Uh, we had quite recently come into the robotics area. I think it was around to, to, uh, 2010. Uh, and... Uh, as I said, we came from this sort of speech technology and, and human interaction perspective. Uh, and we were part of a project uh, where we uh, developed um, a, a robot head. Uh, mm. So because we thought that the head is very important for the interaction. Mm. And we could see that other robot manufacturers or robot researchers have sort of neglected the face in a way. You know, these typical robot faces mm. are extremely static. They have no expressions whatsoever. Mm. It's just a plastic mask, more mm. or less. Maybe the eyes can light up a little bit mm -hmm. and so on. And given what we knew about how important the face is for interaction, mm. as I said, with the lips and the gaze and the mm. facial expression and mm. everything, mm. we thought mm. that uh, th this is not optimal. Mm. Uh, so we experimented with um, using uh, back projection. So mm. we had a translucent, uh, semi-transparent uh, mask mm. and then a projector inside the head projecting the face on that mask. Mm. Reducing the complexity as to building a kind of a rubber thing we've seen. Exactly. I so the, it had so many advantages. So mm -hmm. one, one is the reducing complexity. Mm. You don't have all the servos that mm. break and that uh, produce a lot of noise and so mm. on. Uh, you can do much more subtle. Uh, I mean, we, we mm. did experiments on, on the lip reading that I talked about before mm. uh, and see that people could actually lip read mm. uh, from this uh, kind of robot head rather than the traditional robot head. Mm. 
uh, and the gaze was so much better. You could actually see where is the robot looking, where is the mm. robot attending, and so mm. on. Mm. Mm. Uh, because we use computer animation, and computer mm. animation is, is, of course, so much more powerful. Mm. Uh, and it also means that we can change the identity of the robot, because you can yeah. project different faces on this mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah. can update it vastly quicker than Absolutely. you can if you built a physical robot. Yes, right? yes. Uh, it's still mounted on a neck and so on, so it can yeah, move, yeah. move the head and, yeah. and use for, the for head. Gaze and exactly, so you can combine the head that you get, uh, the gaze that you get for, for, from the head pose with mm. the actual gaze uh, moving mm. in the eyes from the projection. Yeah, I've seen Baxter yeah. do that in, in a yeah. very practical situation where he has this kind of flat screen. Yeah. And, and it was very uh, enlightening for me when he was supposed to pick something up. Yes. And first the screen and the eyes turned and yes. then the head. Yes. Yeah. That's huge. And that, then it's actually, since we have a curved face, mm. uh, that experience is even more powerful. Mm. Because then mm. you can really mm. very easily mm. see and read uh, the gaze direction from mm. the robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we started also to develop sort of our... We have worked on these conversational systems mm. before, how, how, how mm. to be able to speak to, to robots. But we sort of adapted that technology that we had mm. uh, and put it into this robot to ha also handle multi-party interaction. So that mm. was one of the new things that mm. our robot could actually uh, take part in a multi-party interaction with several people. Mm. Uh, Magnitudes harder than just one-on-one, -on -one, right? Yes, because all the turn-taking things we talked about. Mm. And, and so uh, maybe someone says something and you want to involve the other person. So you want to say, what do you think about that? Mm. And so mm. on. Mm. Uh, and then we put this on display. So there was an exhibition in the, in the London Science Museum about mm. uh, robot projects in Europe. And mm. we were invited to, to mm. exhibit there. Uh, so we put Furhat there, so mm. everyone could go there and talk to it. And it actually, I mean, it was the only robot there that you could actually talk to. Mm. Uh, so it says something about this area that mm. spoken interaction with robots uh, has been something people haven't paid so much attention to. No. And then we have this extremely expressive face mm. that several people could come up to and talk to. Mm. And people were really, really fascinated by this. Mm. Uh, and a lot of researchers came and uh, because we also took it to conferences and mm. showed it and mm. so on. Mm. started mm. to ask, can you buy this head? And we, we are just researchers. We don't sell stuff. Mm. <laughs> uh, but then sort of... Uh, That's actually when okay. you should start a company, when people try to buy it off you right yes. there and then, right? Yes, yes. So, so that was the sort of idea behind it. So we uh, sort of... Uh, we thought about starting a company. So, so uh, we did that. Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, originally it was just how can we package this uh, so that other researchers can buy mm, it. So mm. we packaged the hardware and the mm. software into something that works very well together because mm. building robots uh, takes so much expertise in so many different areas. It's like just if crazy, you want to do it from scratch, you have to know mechatronics, you have mm. to know speech technology and vision and everything. Nobody knows all these it's things. So it takes a team of a lot of people. Yeah, right? exactly. And if you're a PhD student just starting up, uh, you don't have time for this. No. So being able to buy this package with a physical robot and mm. the software that mm. could run everything mm. is, of course, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not just academic research because also then 
Disney Research mm. were interested. Ooh. So they were our first customer mm. uh, buying uh, the first mm. <laughs> uh, robot kit. Ah, uh, okay, so that's a, that's that a great reference on. customer. Yes. I can tell <laughs> it you, it is a good start. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And 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 yeah. So and, and and this was when did you start this kind of what time are we talking about? Uh, I think the company was started 2014. Yes, uh, that was we started it and mm. sold the robot the same. And where is the company now? What, what, what are you offering now? Uh, so we are still offering, uh, we have sold about 50 robots now mm. uh, to different uh, universities or research mm. institutes or, or mm. companies interested mm. in to see mm. how they can yeah, yeah. Uh, use this. Mm. Um, and uh, now we have a lot of projects mm. like the Frankfurt uh, mm. airport thing I talked mm. about. Mm. So that's actually very nice example because they took the kit that we had developed mm. and they themselves developed this uh, robot uh, application for the airport mm. so they could use our kit uh, to, to make this mm -hmm. um, and uh, the whole idea with the kit is that you don't have to think about the details about what I said that turn taking mm -hmm. so you can, sort of you that's can a high level exactly you can program more of a high level designer interaction mm. uh, and then these other things are taken care of Ah. Um, so that was very nice to see that we could put it there and actually people appreciated it and, and found it very helpful. So that was very nice. If we come back to challenges, yes. where is the bleeding edge rather than the leading edge, both in the research first maybe, and then of course in the company, where if somebody out there has a solution to a problem you have, what problem would you like them to solve for you? Or maybe there's a PhD student out there that's looking for something to work on. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I see what you mean. Well, there, there is so much. I mean, we have just scratched the surface here. I mean, uh, one thing is, of course, a deeper understanding in dialogue. Mm. So mm. we can model dialogue, for example, and mm. understand if someone makes uh, in a very limited domain, like, mm. um, uh, yeah, the, the, the airport thing, for example. Mm. Mm. Uh, there is a limited set of things people will ask this robot. So mm. you can sort of pre-program it, you can learn it, and you can... Uh, pre-program the answers and so on. Mm. But if you would have a more generic uh, a robot doing a more generic task, or even maybe you have it in a receptionist, then you want to go there and, and teach the robot and mm. tell it that, oh, maybe now uh, you should do, be able to do this also, mm. and not then go and program it, but mm. actually programming it by talking to it. Yeah, by, by, by showing it maybe or something like if that. If it's a physical task, it can be mm. showing and talking, mm. uh, explaining to mm. it, but it could also be just explaining that now people might have this question and then mm. you should answer that and so on. Mm. Uh, so this kind of learning uh, we don't have. More now, intuitive so teaching, of uh, more intuitive programming. Exactly, in way, exactly. Right? Programming as you would do with, with an employee, right? Mm, you if, tell them if, that. If you have an employee at the hotel, mm. uh, you, you go there and explain mm. to them what they should do. And if there mm. are sh changes in the hotel, mm. you can just go there and tell them that. And then yeah, they yeah. will sort of adapt their behavior and so on. Mm -hmm. and you can't really do that with a robot today. So, mm. so that's definitely <laughs> bleeding edge. And also what we talked about before, having the robot to self to actually adapt to people. Individually, so individually learning mm. from experience mm -hmm. uh, to be able to sort of change so this behavior. Is, this is the yeah. customer in Rome 102. He's, he speaks German with a British accent. I'll treat him this way. He yeah. usually could be. Mm. Could also be that let's say that you and me are, are assembling something together and uh, you know that when people do this, we, we, that's actually one of the research projects we have to look at how people refer to objects. Uh, oh, yeah. I mentioned that earlier, but 
uh, if we are assembling something, you might start calling this weird shaped object mm. something, mm. the rock-like thing or something. Yeah, 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 MacGuffin. Uh, yeah. Mm. And then, of course, what, if people do this, they start to form what we call conceptual pacts. So we start to refer to this as the rock-shaped thing. Or, yeah. or maybe we then sort of, we try to be as economical as possible in our language use, mm. so we say, mm. yes, the rock thing or, or the yeah, rock. Yeah. Suddenly it's the rock. Yeah, because uh, it, it, it evolves too, Exactly, right? it evolves. And that's actually how language has evolved, of course, mm -hmm. over, mm -hmm. over generations. Words and split and merge. And exactly. And, uh, of course, this happens all the time. Mm. Language change all the time. And especially if we are set to a new task, mm. uh, language changes in that specific task. And mm. how can we make the robot quickly adapt mm. and be able to use uh, these new words that mm. the robot and the human come up with together. Because mm -hmm. uh, those aren't static, they can't really learn them ahead of time. No, you can't, because yeah. there are uh, so many different mm. ways of calling mm. these weird-shaped objects. Yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah. will come up with something in the moment. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And those are quite common when we do things, because of course uh, there's not a correct term for, for, for even a small fraction of the things we work with. No, right? exactly, exactly. At the mm. airport, again, mm. you might have static, everything has a label and a name. Mm. Uh, there's mm. a restroom and there is a gate and everything. Mm. But in everyday life, that's not the case. Mm. We don't have names for everything. We mm. have to come up with names for things. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that's a huge challenge, of course, for mm. the robot to be able to do that mm. Uh, mm. and form this sort of align with humans in, in their language use. We talked about the expressive face, but I've also wondered how when I, I've looked at the hand-like manipulators we have today in the world, and we have some amazing versions, but what I think is that if we don't want to pick up bricks, mm. we might have many more opportunities to use hands and gestures if they only, they had no payload demand, yeah, yeah. because they're only going to be used for doing this. Yeah. Do you s see that that would be a possibility to create robotic hands for expression rather than manipulation. Absolutely, yeah. And that's actually being done. So if you look ah, at, okay. if, I don't know, I guess you have seen the pepper robot. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So it has hands and arms, mm. but I, I don't think it can lift anything. No, uh, no, no. Uh, so and they're actually they are designed for for, uh, for communication. Ah, OK, OK, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it doesn't have a very expressive face, but mm. it has But when you arms. combine them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So of course the arms you can do, I mean, especially if you, if you, if you are standing in a, in a shopping mall or something mm. you can show that it's mm. over there and so on mm -hmm. and, I mean we, we use hands uh, a lot of course. How much would the hands add compared to say you have a, just a screen and then you have the screen and the face and then you can sh face or arms and face and arms would they be a significant addition or are they a minor addition from the research? Uh, Do we know that? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't have a study of that from the top of my head, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I think the the um, I would still guess that the face is more important than mm. than the arms, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just a guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I would also sort of say that it depends on uh, what you want to communicate. But okay. the, uh, I mean, the arms mm -hmm. is you can do gestures that mm -hmm. sort of shows you can do like iconic gestures mm -hmm. and you can do things like thumbs yeah. up and so on mm -hmm. and you can show it's a round shaped things mm -hmm. you can also point of course with arms so that's very mm -hmm. powerful you can point that over there is something yeah, yeah. Uh, to some extent you can do pointing with the face also you can look at something for mm -hmm. example to, to, to do some kind of pointing yeah, yeah. Uh, fill in this form exactly uh, and, and press yeah. especially if it's if it, the arms probably would be more most relevant when it's something small press this button exactly if, if, if it's a huge yes. thing 
if we have objects on a table, of course, having arms and be able to point is mm. extremely powerful. And then the gaze is not as powerful. So, of course, in that setting, I would say the arms would be really, re really nice if, mm. you, if mm. you really have objects you want to, to look at. Them. Beyond the yeah. pepper, who has kind of basic arms, do you know of any research that has a more advanced uh, and closer to what you offer. If, if yeah. you look at the flat face yes. mask uh, robot and you offer something much more advanced, do you know of any research with more advanced? Uh, Not really. I, th I think Pepper has quite, well, from what I've seen, uh, the hands are quite good. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it, has, it, it doesn't have to be super flexible to do no. things like pointing no. and, and gestures and so on. From what I've seen, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's quite good, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I think that the face carries so yeah. much more information. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, as I said, you, mm. you, you have the facial expressions, you mm. can express uncertainty, mm. and you have the lip reading, mm. and, uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so still sort of taking everything together, I would say the, the face is, is sort mm. of mm -hmm. a little bit... More significant. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a mystery that they haven't put more, more focus on the face. I, I, don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know why. I guess it is because your idea with the back projection was a very great one. I've yeah. seen so many tries of making a physical yes. uh, face and that is just a ridiculously hard problem, right? I yes. mean, yes. we talked about actuators, yeah. we talk yes. about the, uh, the skin. Um, yes. You end up in this uncanny valley very easily. Exactly uh, where so I was going. They, so people have in robotics mm. have for a long time said that sort of human-like robots is sort of a no-no. You, you don't mm. go there because you just end up in the uncanny valley. Mm. And I think what we showed was that that's not necessarily true. Mm. Uh, and people don't really find uh, Farhat uh, so uncanny. Because it's it's so obvious it's not a human. It's not trying to be, be exactly. a human. It's trying to be yes. R2-D2, which yes. is yeah. <laughs> looks nothing like a human, but which is yeah. very relatable. Where do you see the general area, the research, going from now on, uh, the major trend? We're here at the Machine Learning and Artificial Intelligence Conference. Where Where yeah. is the major trend, right? Uh, yeah, of course, everyone is looking at uh, deep learning and how we can use deep learning. Of course, that's, that's the obvious uh, trend right now, mm. and it's the same in my field. So mm -hmm. how, how can we apply deep learning to, to modeling conversation? Mm -hmm. uh, the challenge there is that for deep learning, typically you need so much data, right? So you have these image recognition tasks and so on, mm. so people have collected uh, vast amount of, of, of uh, images with mm. captions and so on, and mm. then you can train very impressive mm -hmm. models for that. But the problem is that in many human tasks, we don't have, I mean, humans learn without that mm. much data. It's the same in speech. We can train a very good speech recognizer nowadays mm. because we can um, uh, collect large amount of speech data. That and annotate it. And annotate it mm. and so on. But if you look at the amount of data that the computer uses is much more than a human uh, uses in mm. their lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, and same goes with uh, chess. If you look at the AlphaGo, mm. for example, mm. uh, when it learned by uh, AlphaGo by playing against mm. itself, and you mm. see how many uh, games did it have to play to mm -hmm. learn this fast. It's much more than a sort of human chess player. player. Yeah, so it's uh, not so very it's efficient. It's not very efficient. And I mean, humans can even learn from just a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. So in conversation, we have this problem that if you want to put a robot uh, as a receptionist, for example, mm -hmm. you can't first record millions of interaction in a, in a reception, no. typically. You, don't, you can't afford to collect that amount of no. data. Uh, so then the question is, how can you program the robot without that much data? Mm. Uh, 
And how can it learn from what it has learned in one interaction mm. and take that to another interaction? Mm. Uh, so that's, I think, is something where people are looking. People have looked at there are some, you can get lots of conversational data. For example, mm. you can scrape uh, movie subtitles. Mm. Uh, or you can take conversations on Twitter. You can take conversation mm. on forums like Reddit. Mm. And then you can train uh, a deep learning model on that. Mm. And then it can actually have uh, kind of a conversation uh, just from this data. So it mm. can sort of replicate this Twitter conversation. Mm. Uh, but it turns out that these conversations are sort of very uninteresting. So <laughs> the model tr tries to learn to just say the average thing in mm. the conversation. It's sort of Which is not particularly enlightening. No, and it can even be things like, I don't know, or mm. that's true. Or mm. I mean, just sort of the, the non, most non-committing thing you can say in a conversation. And it will learn, sort of converge to that. Which so is not where we want to go. We no, want to we go don't to want a robot standing there and saying these things. No. So a uh, robot standing in a corner saying, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's basically not what the happens. most useful. <laughs> no. Uh, so, how to actually use uh, these fantastic deep learning techniques mm. in these kind of areas mm. is still a very much a sort of an open problem that mm. that we don't have a, a clear solution to. So mm. still, we are applying kind of more old-school techniques mm. uh, for modeling conversation. Uh, but we've also seen that in some situations people actually prefer talking to robots mm. uh, because you sort of you don't have all these <laughs> obligations and so mm. on that you mm. have to a human. In which situations have you seen that people prefer it? It's, it's most, I mean, w one when I know it has been reported is um, there are people trying to build a robot or, or just a virtual agent mm. that can act as a psychotherapist so uh, oh, they yeah. can talk to you so they have done experiments for example in the, in the US mm. on uh, war veterans uh, oh. and of course they have the choice to go to, to a human a counselor mm. or a psychologist that talk mm. to you about your experiences mm. uh, but they also have done experiments with having a sort of a virtual uh, mm -hmm. psychologist or, mm. or counselor uh, uh, and uh, some people actually prefer that so mm. they feel like it's more okay for you mm -hmm. to speak openly uh, about your problems when it's not a human there which you might think he maybe he judges me or mm -hmm. sort of uh, I, i'm embarrassed in front of him and so mm -hmm. on uh, because so of course you realize the robots is just a glorified toaster this has been a fascinating discussion and i'm already planning the next interview in yes. a few years yes. where you'll be yes. able to share even more with us yes. thank yes. you very much for taking thank the time you. to do an interview it was a pleasure to have you here thank you very much thank you i hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of robots in depth this episode is produced together with vvolver vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate it's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Death. Optomica rents anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.